0: welcome to the living the present moment podcast this is dr joel ying i'm a physician educator and storyteller today i'm excited to have a guest and it is a special guest a friend of mine mary lou williams who i perform with and i was curious about her story today Uh, she came to southwest florida to retire and i like to say that she failed retirement to become a storyteller i'm always curious how People get to these second careers, so I am checking in with Mary Lou of, about what inspired her and what brought her to a career of storytelling.
1: Well, who would think of storytelling as a career? You don't think of storytelling as being something anybody pays you for, like uh, that you would do as a career. Well. And I never thought of of that at all. When I retired, I wanted a second career in nutrition. So I uh, went back to school for nutrition, and I wanted to develop my uh, career in nutrition by giving lectures on nutrition. In order to improve my speaking skills and to to enhance my nutrition lectures, I decided to join Toastmasters, and I did uh, their manual, their first manual, which is all the basic of, of, of public speaking, because that Toastmasters is a, an organization for the um, for people who want to improve their public speaking skills. So I did my public my first projects on uh, on nutrition, and then I thought um, when I graduated from that, Toastmasters has a group of uh, manuals where you pick uh you concentrate on specific aspects of public speaking, and one of them was storytelling. And I thought, well, I'll do storytelling. I'll do that storytelling manual. That will enhance my public, my uh, nutrition lectures, and it will be fun and it will be easy. And then also, I did a a manual on uh, speaking to inform. And so I thought I combine the two. I, I, I combine my informational speeches with uh, stories to enhance those informational speeches. And uh, so I did this speaking to inform manual, and then I did the storytelling manual. And uh, it turned out that everybody liked my stories better than my nutrition lectures, but that didn't uh, give me the idea of becoming a storyteller. That just was nice to know that they liked my stories, but I never thought of doing stories as a as a specialty. Well, I went. I have a friend who comes from Kentucky, and she said that when she retired, at the time she wasn't retired, I was. She said, when she retired, she thinks she'd like to become a storyteller. And she said, maybe why don't we try it? I think you'd be good at it. And that was the first time I put the bee in my bonnet to be a storyteller. So I said, well, I'll give it a try. I I looked up. I said, where would I tell my stories? And I thought, well, uh, I live in Florida, and there's a lot of retirement communities in Florida. And they would need uh, uh, entertainment brought to them uh, rather than ent- going out themselves to get it, uh, although they could do that too. But. Uh, many places they 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 would have storytellers come to that they would have entertainment come to them so I called up all the retirement communities I could find in the telephone directory in Fort Myers and uh two of them uh out of 15 I said I found were um were receptive and 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 hired me to become to t- t- tell stories to their residents and uh I, I thought that was very encouraging because I read that when you have a marketing campaign if you get two percent or one or two percent, that's great. Well I had two out of fifteen, like I think that's twelve and a half percent, I had a landslide response. So I that's how come I started telling stories at retirement communities. So that's that's how my career got started as a storyteller and I've been telling stories ever since.
0: Oh wow. Um, what kept you Interested in the storytelling?
1: Well, uh, I, 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 I found that there was an interest in it, even though it was very hard to promote myself as a storyteller. I would call up retirement communities, and I would say, I'm a storyteller, and I'd get the response, our residents do not like to be treated like children. And then I said, oh, no, no, I tell stories for adults. And they, then my re- response was, our residents do not like anything risque. So it was a hard sell to tell Mm -hmm. stories. And most people think that stories are just for children. They have this preconception, this misconception about storytelling. sellers that they read their stories to children to put them to sleep at night. This is not what people are looking for in the form of entertainment, especially adults. And I uh, told my stories in the beginning mostly for adults. Um, I did then branch out and develop stories. So I have stories for children, too, that I tell in schools. But what kept me interested was the discovery that there was a whole world of storytelling below the radar of mainstream America. I found out that there was a uh, there are storytelling festivals throughout the country. I found out I, that there were uh there was a Florida storytelling festival, a Florida storytelling association, and that there was a national storytelling festival every year in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And I found this out because. I had gone to uh, Boone, North Carolina, to a, a, at an elder hostel there at Appalachian University, and there mm-hmm. was a a class there given on the flora, fauna, and culture of the area in which the university was located, which was in the Appalachian Mountains that went through North Carolina, Boone, and the person that gave the uh, course, the class uh, on Appalachian folklore her name was Charlotte T Ross and she told us that there was a whole about this world of storytelling that I knew nothing about I never heard uh, I never heard of such a thing as people who told stories professionally as who told stories for adults I didn't know that there was such a thing as storytelling festivals or that there was a storytelling world and so I found that out from that class and when I moved down to Florida um, when I well, when I took that class it was in uh, 1992 I said, one of these days I'm going to go to Jonesboro, because she had told us about the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee. One mm-hmm. of these days I'm going to go there and hear these wonderful storytellers, because I love, i always loved listening to stories. So when I moved down to Florida, that was in 1999, uh, and then I got interested in Toastmasters and in, uh, in lecturing about nutrition, and then ultimately from that, as I told you about, uh, interest in storytelling, I thought, I should investigate and find out what the storytelling world is about so I would know what the opportunities were in it and how I could pursue this, this little career that I had embarked upon. So for the first time I went to the national storytelling festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee in 2006. And when I got there, I was just blown away. It's a little town a one block town. Actually it's the oldest town in Tennessee still has cobblestone sidewalks. And, uh, 10,000 people a year come to this storytelling festival in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and uh, to hear the world-class storytellers tell their stories. So I, I was just blown away by that. And then I found out the history of that. That started in 1973 by a man named Jimmy Neal Smith, who founded the National Storytelling Festival in Jonesboro. When you had the first festival there, there were only 60 people that attended. That included the storytellers. From that, it, uh, it developed into what it is now, the, uh, a festival that 10,000 people come to every year to hear these world-class storytellers tell their stories. So I was motivated to continue in storytelling, to answer your question, because of the world of storytelling that I found existed that I didn't know about before.
0: Mm. And it always begs the question of what is storytelling? How do you describe that to folks?
1: Well, that's a great question. What is storytelling? Well, people, as I said, mainstream America still has the misconception about storytelling, although it's changing. But that it is reading Mother Goose to put her grandchildren to sleep at night. That's that misconception that people have. But it's not that at all. Stories, storytelling has two parts: the story and the telling. It is a performance art, but it is based upon a literary art. Or you want to think of it as a literary. In a sense that you have to start, you have to have a story to tell. And that's where the, uh, literature part comes in. Even though it's an, this is a, uh, paradox or a contradiction in terms. It's, uh, literary, uh, it's oral literature, you might say. <laughs> you have to have the, you have to have a story and then you have to be able to tell it. So perfor- storytelling is a performance art in which you, you, uh, start with a story, either a story that it's already been in, in existence or a story that you create yourself and then you deliver it, you tell it. So mm-hmm. story and, and it's based upon uh, the, the, it's, the foundation of it is the story. And those stories can be uh, can be uh, they can be literary stories that people tell and adapt for telling. It can be um, it can be traditional stories, folk tales, and all the different uh, genres, genres of folk tale. Can be historical stories and can be personal stories, experiences from one's own life or someone's life of someone you know that you tell and you create yourself. Hmm. So a storytelling is a performance art, but it is based on an oral literature, you might say.
0: And where did you find your first stories that you told?
1: Well, I had been an English teacher in my prior life. And I had a lot of stories as an English teacher. I also taught English literature. So I, I, I dipped into that. I dipped into the literary stories that I had read. So I had those stories to tell and I, st- I found, I had, there were stories that were my favorites and that I, uh, that I said, well, these will be the first things I tell. Uh, these will be the stories that I tell. But I had to adapt them for storytelling because the written word is different from the oral word. And some of those stories also were uh, um, written a long time ago, so their style was kind of a little archaic. So that was where I got my first stories. And then I told a story that I had heard team Ross tell when I went to Appalachian University in Boone, North Carolina in 1992. She told a story. Uh, a, I called it the, an Appalachian Romeo and Juliet. It was an Appalachian folktale based on a true story that was told in the 19th century, she said it was the most told story in Appalachia in the 19th century. And I love that story. And I uh, told that story, too, even though it's not a literary story, but it's a story that I had heard told by Charlotte G. Lawson, a folk, folk, folk tale. Then after that, mm-hmm. as a storyteller, I, I called up, as I said, retirement communities. And one of the retirement communities that I called up said they would like me to come and tell stories. But... They have a theme for each of the programs that they presented. Each month they had a theme. And I was in the month in which their theme was the classics. And they wanted me to tell classic folk tales or classic fairy tales. So I thought to myself, well, how can I tell fairy tales to adults? So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll modernize them. I took uh, five classic fairy tales, the most classic I could find, from uh, Cinderella, what could be more classic than that, uh, the Frog Prince, Princess and the Pea by Hans Christian Andersen, and the uh, Fisherman and His Wife, another groom's fairy tale, and I retold them, bringing in modern anachronisms and references. And uh, for instance, I told the um, uh, Cinderella story. I call my Cinderella story Ugly Cindy and the Magical Glass Slippers. I make uh, Cinderella ugly, and her stepsisters beautiful. And I changed the story in a lot of ways. But I modernized them all, important modern references, and made them funny. And it went over very well. And I found out afterwards that I I thought I had done something completely original, but nobody ever did this before. I found out afterwards that this is a whole genre unto itself called fractured fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And that motivated me to do uh, a whole bunch of other ones. I I actually fractured 10, 10 fairy tales. And uh, I actually... Put them in a book and published them and called them ten fractured fairy tales and they had titles like Hans, hansel and Gretel and the witch who was on a high protein diet and uh, uh snow white and the seven vertically challenged persons anyway that's that's where i got my stories in the beginning
0: i i'm always engaged when you fracture them because it's you, you add a lot of humor as well as a lot of wordplay and puns and yeah. has that always been something you enjoyed
1: Yes, I've always loved puns. I the lowest form of humor. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what
0: are what are your favorite sources of stories today?
1: Oh great, great questions you're asking. Uh there are four sources of stories, uh, as I mentioned before that storytellers use uh to go to. There's the um literary stories that I've mentioned and then the folk tales that I've uh, that I've also tapped into when I tapped into the fairy tales to fracture them and then there's historical stories and there's personal stories and I use all four of those sources of stories and uh I I, I mostly go to the fractured versions I love to tell the fractured fact, fractured tales I've fractured ace of fables and besides the grimm's fairy tales I fractured ace of fables and other fairy tales and other folk tales but uh I have uh and I and as I said, I use literary stories, but I have uh, done a few personal stories, too. And I developed them because personal stories are very popular, very popular genre now. Personal stories are kind of uh, a big, has become a genre that is very popular in the storytelling world. When the storytelling world first started way back in 1973, when Jimmy Neal Smith founded the National Storytelling Festival, Mainly the stories that were told were, uh, were folk tales, traditional stories, some historical stories, some literary stories, very few personal stories. But uh, when a man named Donald Davis, who is who's world famous, but nobody ever heard of him because he's world famous in the storytelling world, which as I said is still below the radar of mainstream America, when he started telling stories, he told personal stories. And now personal stories are the predominant form of stories that are told at the storytelling festivals. Uh, 75% of the stories probably are personal stories. So I decided that I would try my hand at personal stories too. So I have, it doesn't come naturally to me. I'm kind of shy. So, but I have now have one, two, three, four personal stories in my repertoire. Mm -hmm. So I tell them too.
0: I'm, I'm curious also about the words you said below the radar. Why do you think storytelling is below the radar?
1: It still is because, um, Many people still think of storytelling as a lost art, but, uh, because storytelling was the predominant form of entertainment for people, uh, in the, uh, prior to the middle of the 19th century. That was the form of entertainment of the folk. That's why they're called folk tales. Um, it was a form of entertainment that people, uh, uh, who didn 't have any other form of entertainment used to entertain themselves uh, it it it's part of the folk of folk art uh, that goes along with folk music and folk songs and folk uh, folk folk graphic art quilting and such uh, that was the, what people used to entertain themselves but when um people became when with the rise of of literacy uh, in the nineteenth century universal literacy. People could read and entertain themselves with reading. And that helped to push storytelling to the background a little bit. But what really pushed storytellers off the stage was mass media, the radio, television, uh, movies, television, and now, of course, uh, computers. Uh, that mass media pushed storytellers off the stage. And storytelling as a form of entertainment became passe, old-fashioned, uh, you know, you no, know, not, not unsophisticated. Um, it only stayed alive in pockets of, uh, this country and probably other countries too, but in this country where people didn't have access to mass media. And that was among the poor people in Appalachia. Appalachia remained poor for a great part of the 20th century where people did not have, um mass media. They didn't have Movies. They didn't have money for, for these things, so uh, they kept the law, and they also uh, were illiterate to a great to a great extent, well into the 20th century. So storytelling remained alive there, but for the rest of the country, it, it was a lost art. And that, even now, in 1973, when Jimmy Neil Smith founded the National Storytelling Festival, that caused a, that um, started a renaissance in storytelling that that uh really uh went pervaded the whole country it uh it was storytelling because of that storytelling festival it 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 initiated a renaissance in storytelling but that storytelling renaissance really occurred in places where people were still interested in storytelling and it was uh in rural areas it was in um poorer areas, and it didn't, uh, it didn't become uh, something that was in, it wasn't in the mass media by its very nature. It was not, it was, it was oral. It was performed live. And so it, by its very nature, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the mass media and people, mainstream America wasn't aware of it and that this Renaissance was going on uh, uh, in places that they, that that word mainstream. So places like like uh, Jonesboro, Tennessee, the oldest town in Tennessee, which was only one block long or is only one block long. Uh, so they it still has remained below the radar. Now it's become more uh, visible. But it's fast becoming more and more um, a, a lost heart that's been found, but it's still below the radar. That's why. It, it, if you talk to people and you say you're a storyteller, they look at you like you're, you're crazy. Well, yeah, that's what you do for a, then you get paid to do that. Or there's people that you do that as a, as a, a career. They, they look at you, uh, with, well, very quizzically because it's not something that, uh, they're aware of. So that's what I mean by it's being below the radar. It's still below mm-hmm. the radar. People still have a misconception about it as something that is only for children that's told in libraries or, uh, my grandmothers put their children to sleep at night.
0: And I've heard you tell before how Jimmy Neil Smith got interested in storytelling. And I was curious if you would uh, tell again, how, how did that start? How did he get the idea to start this festival?
1: Jimmy Neil Smith lived in, he was the mayor in 1973. He was the mayor of Jonesboro, Tennessee. Uh, but it was a small, it, it still is a small town and he didn't make enough money as mayor to make a living so he had a day job as a, a journalism teacher high school journalism teacher part of the Appalachian Mountains goes through Tennessee and uh that 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 includes Jonesboro so he lived in a place where uh storytelling was still alive in the Appalachian Mountains and I said where storytelling remained a a viable and a living art. Anyway, uh, he, uh, that's just background. He, um, he was this, he was the mayor of Jonesboro, Tennessee. He had his day job as an English journalism teacher. And he took his students, they were all boys, this particular class that he had. He took them on a field trip in his, he had a, 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 I guess a station wagon or some kind of a, a van. And he could take, he could uh, uh, transport a lot of students. So he took them on a field trip. But on the way back from the field trip, they were making a lot of noise in the back of the van. And to drown out their noise and to to have to entertain himself, he turned on the radio and he turned on the Grand Old Opry. And they had a storyteller on the Grand Old Opry called uh, Jerry Cloward. Jerry, I think that's his right name. Jerry. I know his last name is Cloward. I think it's Jerry Cloward. He was a storyteller, and he raised the Volume well, as loud as he could to hear above the noise in the back and to listen to Jerry Cloward and tell his story. And uh, gradually the noise in the back started to subside and actually it got to the point where you could hear a pin drop. They were listening to this story. They were fascinated by it. And he was amazed. Jerry Cloward's story had got the attention of these teenage boys. And he said, if this is the effect that storytelling can have on teenage boys – think of the effect you could have on normal people. So he said he could, he would like, that gave him the idea. He said he would have a festival, a storytelling festival for quote, unquote, normal people, people who would be, uh, who's uh, adults who would be perhaps more, uh, uh, even more interested in, in storytelling. So he, he had the venue. He had Jonesboro the town where he was mayor of. He, uh, He had a talent because he lived uh, in in the Appalachian. He was in Appalachia where there were a lot of storytellers. All he needed was an audience. Well, if you build it, they will come. So what he did, he uh, he advertised and uh, he decided to have a festival on the first weekend in October and first full weekend in October. And he used the uh, courthouse square as his stage and he set up chairs. the courthouse steps this is his stage and he set up stairs uh chairs for the audience to to sit in this in, in the courthouse in the front of the courthouse and listen. And there were uh, altogether sixty people, as I mentioned before, at this first storytelling festival, including the tellers. And the tellers sat uh their stage was a hay wagon and they sat on hay bales and the audience sat on chairs in the, in the front of the courthouse and they told their stories. Well it was a big success. From that humble beginning of sixty people it now it, it ultimately he had it he had it every year it was an annual event and- ultimately ten thousand people descended on this little one block town and they managed to house all these people because they put up these huge tents there are about five tents that hold about fifteen some of them uh the biggest ones hold about 1, fifteen hundred people and I think then they have a uh a um a uh a market tent where they sell CDs and books and tapes and videos of, uh, the story, of storytellers. And then they have, uh, one small storytelling tent. So these tents hold all these people. And it became more and more famous, more and more popular. And now, uh, the, the greatest storytellers in the country and the world, the English speaking world, come to Jonesboro, Tennessee every year to tell their stories. So that's how, uh, storytelling got started. By Jimmy Neal Smith in Jonesboro, Tennessee. And from there, as I said, it, be, it it, radiated out throughout the country. Now there are storytelling festivals in every state in the union. There are about 200 of them, uh, uh, storytelling festivals every year. And every state has its own storytelling association. So that is how it spread and, and how it generated a renaissance, how the National Storytelling, uh, festival that started in, uh, in Jonesboro in 1973, how that started a renaissance Mm. throughout the country. So, um, and and in Florida, we have the Florida Storytelling Association, and the Florida Florida Storytelling Association puts on a a storytelling festival every year in Mount Dora, and uh, about 200 to 250 people come to that festival. Mm. So those... Actually, 500 this year. 500 this year? Oh, my God. Wow. I didn't even know that, because that's what it used to be. I... I'm not in the know, so 500. Wow, it's very successful and it's very popular, and they bring in national tellers and also have Florida tellers, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful festival. Mm. And I go to it every year. I've been going to. I finally got to go to the National Storytelling Festival in 2006, and I've been going to that every year since. And I've been going to the Florida Storytelling Festival for about the same length of time. Wow. Yeah. That's because that's when I st- why I started storytelling, being becoming a storyteller in two thousand six.
0: That's amazing! All these festivals. It's great that it is now a found art. Like you said, there's a renaissance, and I'm yes. and and I think about it. We still have television. Now we have internet. Now we have you know lots of other ways to entertain. Why do you think there is a renaissance?
1: Oh, what a wonderful question! Because people now want something. Those things are impersonal. The, the, um, movies, the, there's a screen, you don't interact with the actors. Yes, you, you empathize with them, you get involved with them, but you don't actually, uh, you don't have a physical, they're, they're, they're not physically present. You're not interacting with the, with the, the television, the characters in the television. The same with computer, it's not, uh, it's not a physical, Connection, but in stories, I think people want that now. I think people are looking because of the uh, the impersonality of the mass media, of the um, the distance from it that that there is between the the uh, the listener, the audience, and the and the, uh, the this the, the the technical media. You don't have that human interaction. But, and you don't have that sense of community that you have when you have storytelling. And with storytelling, you have a connection, a direct connection between the teller and the audience. The, in, in storytelling, when a storyteller gets on the stage, you don't have the lights down in the audience, the way you do in the theater, in movies, wherever you have that kind of a, a entertainment. The lights aren't down. There's no fourth wall. That The lights are up, and there's no... Uh, uh, separation between the teller and the audience, the teller is telling to the audience the teller makes eye contact with the members in the audience and that's why the lights are up because you want the the, the teller to be able to see the audience and connect with them and that uh, chemistry and that uh, connection be, uh, uh, between the audience and the teller creates an electricity and a sense of community and a sense of uh, connection that you don't have with the uh, mass media. And I think there's a yearning for that now. People want that that sense of community and that sense of personal connection that they don't get with mass media. So I think that's what has actually contributed and to storytelling, the revival of storytelling because people now appreciate what they once thought of as passe, old fashioned and un- unsophisticated. Now it becomes something they yearn for. They want that sense of community, that sense of connection, that sense of of belonging and of uh, of, uh, of of just uh, of what mm-hmm. uh, so I say that 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 uh, front porch kind of feeling of connecting. That's what that storytelling gives them that they don't get from mass media.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, I I call storytelling, one of the things I call it anyway, is the art of connection. Yeah. The teller connects to the audience and it's hard to describe what it is because it is an experience. An experience of the story creates emotion and empathy and that experience is something the audience goes through together. So I do agree with you that it really creates a sense of community that we just went through something together. And I love after storytelling events, how people have this experience that they want to share with each other and talk about.
1: Yes, yes. And, and the end, the, the, the audience affects the telling of the story. The reaction of the audience mm. and the audience's response is uh, uh, registers with the teller and affects how the teller tells their story. The audience actually becomes participants in telling the story that you don't have in mass media. There's no that connection is just
0: isn't there. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, there is a it's funny, there's a subtle difference between reading a story and telling a story, in that you're so much more connected to the audience. But there's also a difference between having a memorized recitation. Versus a telling that really interacts with the audience.
1: Yeah. Whether, yes, the teller can change his story depending upon the response he gets from the audience. Yes. In some way, subtle ways.
0: Mm-hmm. What are the things that keep you telling stories? What, what really, what do you love about storytelling that keeps you, you know, you, you, you could be retired, but yet you choose to do this. What, what, uh, what brings you back again and again to tell stories?
1: Oh, great question again. I just love the re, the response that I get from the audience. I I get a, a thrill out of telling a story that and, and 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 as telling a story and being able to engage the audience in listening to that story. I love I love to be I, I love the response I get. I love it if I can make them laugh. I love them if I can love it if I can make them cry. I just love the experience of of that I get and uh, enjoyment I get from the uh, the experience of having of telling a story that an audience and getting an audience to enjoy it that gives me a great uh, sense of satisfaction and enjoyment. So it's that that keeps me doing it, even though it's a lot of work. But then the uh, because you people you don't just tell a story off the top of your head. By the way, you have to. It's a craft, and it's a craft you have to learn. You know a lot to learn about. There's the craft of the writing of the story in itself, which is the craft of writing, which is a lot of work and a lot of skill goes into that. And then there's the craft of, of performing, delivering the story. A lot of skill goes into that, which is uh, what I learned to a great extent in Toastmasters. So uh, you have to combine those those two. Per- those two art forms and it, it involves a lot of work, a lot of preparation, a lot of rehearsal and a lot of skill. And, uh, uh, but the, in the payoff is that when you, you do it well, you get this wonderful, thrilling experience that you have on stage, which you just have to, that you just have to experience to understand. It's a great feeling when you're on the stage and you have an audience that you have, you, that is enthralled by what you're saying that mm. where you can, when you can where you, where you can hold an audience spellbound. That is a marvelous feeling. So I keep on doing it because of the reward I get when I do perform and the uh, enjoyment I get in preparing for it, because even though it's a lot of work, it's work that it's a labor of love. I really love developing the stories and I love uh, crafting the delivery of the story as well as the creation of the story. So it's a self-rewarding kind of uh, field of endeavor. Uh, it's rewarding in all the aspects of it, the creating of the story, the performing of the story, and then, of course, the actual culmination of all that in the in the uh, performance of the story on stage. Mm. That's what keeps me coming back. Yeah. And also, I might say, the camaraderie with other storytellers and developing a, uh, and interacting with, in the storytelling mm-hmm. community. I enjoy that very much, too.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I do. I do also enjoy the camaraderie with storytellers, and and, and also that you say that it, it it is really a performance art. And I I have a better appreciation for performance art now as a storyteller in that they make what is difficult look so effortless. Yeah. There's there's an awe that comes through every time I see someone tell a well told story. I know that there's hours and hours of preparation and writing and practice and doing it again and again in front of more and more audiences until so they get it just to the place where they want to have it at a performance level where they're ready to gift it to the big stage and and I I I love to see how how that magic comes across to to know that wow they made it look so easy.
1: Yes, yes. They made something very difficult looks so easy <laughs> yes.
0: and and the the piece about it too is it, it's just that they're in the moment with it it's an art mm. form that's living there, like you yes. said, it changes with the audience, but it's they're they're so in the present moment with that story that you're there too yes
1: yes, that's what you don't get in any with with mass media you don't get that
0: mm. And, and you also mentioned something else. You know, there is storytelling that is at this performance level, and there's also a, a lot of story circles that have sort of reminiscence, and and a lot of people are very good at impromptu storytelling. And I, I'm, it's sort of a contrast of two different circles, two different places. But I'm curious what what you think the distinction is.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, that that's kind of what. We think of when we think of, kind of you know, storytelling around the kitchen table, or storytelling among a group of friends, or in the living room. Something comes to mind and reminds you of a, of a story or experience, and you tell it. That would be the impromptu telling. And the difference is that that that's the germ or the seed from which um, storytelling as a performance art uh, generates or, or develops. Mm-hmm. And those stories um, are, uh, they have their charm too. And uh, the difference is that they are not rehearsed. They are not uh, written down usually beforehand. They are not, uh, they're not, um, they're not practiced and they're not consciously crafted. But uh, performance storytelling, that kind that you have at storytelling festivals or on any stage, those stories uh, often, when they're personal stories, are um, the seed of them is in those impromptu stories that come about uh, spontaneously and casually, and uh, among among friends chatting or or socializing together. That those stories of uh, those experiences, those impromptu stories, are the seeds for the more polished stories of the professional storyteller doesn't have rough edges, let me put it that way.
0: Hmm.
1: That's what I see as the difference.
0: I like that distinction. It, and they're the, the rough ideas are almost like conversational stories because, and you listen to them because you're invested somehow, you know, it's your family or it's a yes. family member or it's uh, a conversation you're having with a group. So you're listening and, and you find it entertaining because of your connection uh, and then raising it to performance art, it's almost like, um, you know, why do we value art by Picasso more than, uh, a five-year-old, you know? Yes,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> there is that time and polish and experience and crafting and work that goes into, into creating a piece of art that gets delivered.
1: Exactly. So it's like the difference between a professional a, a, a weekend athlete, an amateur, and a professional athlete.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. An athlete also makes the difficult look very easy, yes.
1: Yes, because <laughs> they've worked on it for so long and so yeah. hard. Are,
0: are there any things that you would share with folks who want to get started in storytelling?
1: Oh, great question. Yes, of course. there. Yes, there are. Everybody has a story to tell. People think they don't. They don't have any stories. Nothing ever happens to them. If you delve deep enough, you'll find you have stories to tell. You have, you have life experiences that are worth, worth telling. Everybody has a story or stories within them. Uh, and then, but a lot of people love telling, telling stories that are already in existence. They love just telling, like telling stories to their children. So if if anybody is interested and wants to develop a storytelling ability and is interested in, in, and becoming a storyteller, or even just a, a, an, an amateur storyteller, just uh, just likes telling stories or wants to hear other stories. The best thing I think to do is to find a storytelling guild in your area, and there are guilds, uh, storytelling guilds in in all the states in the union. Um, right in Fort and Ma- um, Florida, I think there's about 20 storytelling guilds uh, that where people just come. And gather to, uh, hear stories and to tell stories. And it's not performance level storytelling. It's just casual, sort of impromptu, spontaneous storytelling or whatever mm-hmm. kind of storytelling you want to do. You want, if you want to practice if you're a professional storyteller or you want to develop a, a skill, a higher skill in storytelling. You can, you can tell that kind of a story, a rehearsed story, a crafted story. You can tell any kind of story you want. The um, storytelling guilds, as I said, there's 20 of them that I know of in the state of Florida. Might even be more by now. Um, but there are two in this area, in the Fort Myers-Naples area. There's one in Fort Myers called the Tamiami Tale Tellers. And the Tamiami Tale Tellers was founded about 30 years ago by uh, uh Burton and Noel McCrary. And uh, they have since both deceased. But that... uh guild that they started is still in existence It meets on the second the third thursday of every month at the brookdale retirement community on college parkway in fort myers
0: Uh, a lot of guilds that are registered with the florida storytelling association that you can find on their website as well Ah, florida
1: very good point yes that's that's the easy way to find them and then in naples there is a florida storytelling guild called the naples storytelling guild but anyway you can find out about that too from uh the Bara Storytelling Association, and you can also find out about it from Joel Ying, who was the founder of it. And that, that <laughs> is a you, you're welcome for that plug. And uh it's it's a wonderful uh, guild in Naples, and you go there. It's free, open to the public. Everybody's welcome. It meets from seven to nine usually, and people tell stories, uh, uh, or they can just listen if they want to listen. So, yeah, so I, I think there.
0: that's an important piece too. That you can just come to listen. And if you're really interested in stories, you may just want to come and listen. And we, I find that a lot of listeners find stories that they want to tell. Yes. I, I also found that listening is an art in itself. I learned to yes. tell stories, I think, because I learned how to listen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's That's. I think that's how you get interested in anything. You first experience it from... Some, some, someplace outside yourself and then find you have something that it resonates with, within you, and there's something within you that wants to, to to do the same thing. So that's exactly how it was with me. I just loved hearing stories, and when I found out that uh, I could
0: I could tell them. Well, thank you, Mary Lou. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and experience of uh, entering the world of storytelling and let us letting us know you know, why you're still passionate about it and why it still captivates you. And uh, it it captivates me, of course, as a fellow storyteller. So I definitely appreciate you. And I also want to say that, um, give you a plug and say that I really appreciate that you're the one who brought me to the National Storytelling Festival for the first time and the Florida Storytelling Festival. And when I went there, they have open swaps where you can tell stories and as someone visiting for the first time, not knowing anything works, it, it was you who said, well, don't you have a story for that? Go, go, go. Tell a story. <laughs> tell a story. What story? It, it wasn't even, it wasn't even an option. You were like, what story are you going to tell? <laughs> well, um, 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 I have this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to thank you for the motivation to really put myself out there and, and tell stories. Cause that's, okay. that's how you, become a storyteller you tell them
1: (laughs) yes indeed and thank you for that lovely compliment i'm so glad i had an influence on you i i am delighted that you've become such a a, a, such a such a dedicated and 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 uh dedicating conscientious storyteller you have to just i feel like i i feel like you're my my protege oh. I feel like pride well, thank
0: you i feel like you're you've been a wonderful amazing mentor so thank, thank you. you thank you
1: so much
0: <laughs> well i want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast today for livingthepresentmoment.com and we'll see you or hear you next time take care